You are listening to NTC Messina's podcast, where our desire as the family of God is to simply know God, love one another, and make disciples. And so the first week I talked about forgiveness. Anybody remember what I talked about last week? Self-reliance, my mother-in-law. There you go. Poor in spirit, right? Right? We all wanted to forget that one, right? We didn't want to remember that we need Jesus and that we're supposed to rely on God. And there's this, this thing that really, I think, as Americans, but even as humans, we want to do it all on our own. And, and really, that first beatitude that Jesus speaks of, he says, the poor in spirit will inherit the kingdom of God. That when we understand our reliance and need for him is when we can really see the kingdom advance. When we can see it advance not only in our lives, but in the world around us. Because truthfully, this, this is the case. The plan that God has for the world is impossible by our efforts. But with him, it's not. It's completely possible. When we actually decide to realize our limits as humanity and lean into God, lean into his kingdom, lean into his abilities, then all of a sudden the things that he can do with us and through us is beyond our imagination. You know, there's... There's some scripture that says God can do things beyond what we can possibly think or imagine. Anybody ever heard that scripture? And I tell you what, I struggle with it because honestly, I can imagine a lot. I really can. I have a big imagination for people's lives, for my life, for the kingdom of God. And I think to myself, okay, God, prove me wrong. Because I got, I got big dreams. I, I want to see people healed. I want to see people step out of wheelchairs. I want to see neurological disorders cease. I want to see people just that have cancer all over their body completely eradicated and full and whole. I want to see those things. Those are my dreams. Okay, Jesus, I want to see more than I can possibly think or imagine. But the truth is there's obstacles to seeing his kingdom advance in our lives and in this world. And these are the obstacles that we have to acknowledge so that we can overcome them, so that the Holy Spirit can help us overcome them, and then we can continue to see more of his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. I loved, I loved the, the songs you guys chose this morning. You know, I, I really, I'm not, I'm not almost ever a part of choosing any of the music. I just love coming and saying, okay, yep, yeah, this is what God's saying. And, and I love that we're talking about the kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. This is, this is what we're here for, to see his kingdom advance. And so today I want to talk about just a really lovely topic, a huge obstacle to seeing the kingdom, sin. There you go, sin. Now, if you've been around our church for a while, um, I've, I'm not afraid to talk about sin, but I also really want to make sure we understand what we're saying when we say the word. And when we say this word sin, often we've just made it a list of do's and don'ts, right? Like, don't do these things. This is all sin, and this will send you to hell, or this will make you look bad, or this will make you a bad Christian or a bad person. But really, sin is anything that misses the mark, because we ta- we remember we taught about this. It's, it's an archery term, and anytime they missed the bullseye, it was considered sin. That was the word. You missed the mark. So anytime we, as humans, miss the mark from our design, the way that God created us to live, to act, to be, every time we don't live within that bullseye of humanity that we're supposed to be, we've sinned. Right? It's not just swearing. Okay? It's not just 
the, the, the bad things that we can think of. It's anything that keeps us from living within the design that God's created us to live within. Now, it includes swearing. <laughs> because usually swearing at people isn't a great thing. And I'm saying this because I swore in church, right? <laughs> so I want to talk about how does sin actually keep us from seeing the kingdom of God come into our life? And why is it really important to actually acknowledge that we can struggle with sin? We can struggle with things that are outside the design of God for our life. And so I want to start in Matthew 5. 17 through 20. So turn your Bibles there this morning or your phone. Matthew 5, verse 17. This is Jesus, right? So he's just kind of laid out the Beatitudes. He's in the middle of his Sermon on the Mount. And he says this part. Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. So listen, sometimes in Christianity, and, and even me, we really easily highlight the fact that we don't live under the law anymore. Right? That we, don't, we aren't subject to the law. That the law isn't what holds us accountable. And, and what it means is basically that when we look at the law and we look at our lives, even if we mess up, even if we don't fulfill the law, we're not condemned absolutely true. But Jesus is making a statement here that we need to pay attention to. He says, I didn't come to abolish. I didn't come to just throw it out. I actually came to fulfill its purpose. Because you see, the law was given to the Jews and to the Hebrews to teach them how to live more according to the image of God over them. It was not a restrictive thing to just say, don't do this and do this. Don't do that, but do this. It was meant to teach them how to actually like, head back towards the design. Now, listen, there were 633 laws. I'll tell you what, those weren't enough. Truthfully, they weren't enough. Every, every law they added really probably still fell short of the image that God called us to live by. The design in which he called us to live by. And so the law was never enough. It was just this thing to teach us to say, hey, listen, this is what you're supposed to look like a little bit. Don't do this. This is a bad thing. If you do this bad thing, it's going to hurt you and hurt the people around you. You know, often we think that sin is just like God's rule book, but the truth is it was meant to protect us. It's why I have rules for my kids. We live on a cul-de-sac. And it's on quite a good slant, actually, too, on Hillcrest. And so they can, like, they sometimes they, they creep further and further up the hill. And then they want to, like, they, they're, you know, they have bikes that don't have brakes. And they're like, I want to go as fast as I can. But when they come around that, that curve, it's a sharp curve. I have literally seen, and then I have a curb that might as well be a cliff. I saw Isaac one time come flying down that. And he tried to make that turn, but because of the way the cul-de-sac is, all the sand from every time it rains sits right at the bottom at the turn. And he tried to make that turn. Well, it didn't work out for him. He literally went end over end. Into, luckily, he went so far, he missed the sidewalk. Into the grass, and I was over, and I, I, my first reaction was to go and like run, and then I'm like, I'll just see if he's okay. <laughs> and I saw him pop up, and he like looked around, I'm like, well, his legs aren't broken. 
and he jumped back on his bike. So then I went over and I said, hey, what happened? And he's like, the sand. And I I tried to turn. I was going too fast. I said, maybe you shouldn't go so far up the hill. He's like, okay. Now guess what? Five minutes later, all the way up the hill. Sometimes even the consequences of sin don't teach us not to do them again. And so I said, Isaac, new rule. You don't get to go past this driveway. This person's driveway. If I see you further than that, I don't want you to do that. And now he's just mad at me. Why? Oh, you're taking all my fun away. I'm not trying to take his fun away. I don't want him to die. I don't want him to have broken legs. I'm just trying to get him to wear shoes and a helmet. So I make up this rule because I love him. This is what God's doing. He's not just trying to take our fun away. It's because we're kind of stupid. We're the seven-year-old that wants to see how fast we can go and turn on sand. And then even when we crash and luckily don't get hurt, we're like, I'm invincible. And so we do something more dumb. This is sin. This is living outside of God's design for us. And so so Jesus comes to say, listen, I didn't come to throw the law away. That was meant to teach you something, but I did come to fulfill its purpose, which was to guide you back into the image of who you were called to be. So let's go back to the scripture. I tell you the truth until heaven and earth disappear. This is verse 18. Not even the smallest detail of God's law will will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So we see this, we see this, things start taking place from Jesus. He's talking about the law. He's actually talking about its importance. And he's talking about not throwing it away. He's talking about making sure we understand it. He is talking about seeing it fulfilled within our lives. And then he's saying that unless your righteousness is better than the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 through 11. Paul writes it, and it's even a little more harsher. Verse 6, 9 through 11. Don't you realize, or chapter 6, verse 9 through 11. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or worship idols or commit adultery or male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or are greedy people or are drunkards or are abusive or cheat people. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Listen, that is not a comprehensive list of sin. It's just a few things that Paul decided to throw out there. But I love how he ends it. He says, But you were cleansed, you were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. So righteousness, often 
I think we, we look at this word righteousness and we kind of put it in the live perfect category, right? It's like, oh, I've got to look righteous. I've got I to gotta be righteous. Now, on the other side of that coin, many of us can't stand when someone acts righteous, right? But there's this place where maybe we misunderstood it where really simply just means this, to be in right standing. It means that if I offended you in some way, if I sinned against you, if I did something to hurt you, or if I, you know, just did something that bothered you, and we never fixed that, well, then there's not a right standing between us. In fact, you could say, I'm not righteous with you. But the truth is, when, I'm, when I fix that, when I maybe come and apologize, when I own up for what I did, and we reconcile that relationship, we become in right standing with each other. This is what we're supposed to be doing with God. This is what Jesus pays for on the cross. See, he looks at our lives and after 6,000 or more years, he realizes they're not going to do this. Now, he probably already knew that, being a little facetious. But Jesus comes on the scene and says, because you can't do it, I will now do it for you. And he pays a price for us. He actually takes on himself the sins of the world. That's why we talk about that on the cross. And then he actually gives us, in exchange, his righteousness. Because you see, Jesus, we understand, we know, lived a sinless life, not as God, but as man. It's why he came. You know, I love that we only see the last three and a half years of his life. I'm always like, what were the first 30 like? We see one or two scriptures about like one time he got lost in the temple and was teaching these Pharisees and they were all astonished what he knew. But we don't see much of his life before that. But I'm telling you, I would be, it's a miracle if a three-year-old doesn't sin. Come on. And so Jesus somehow, as a man, even as a little boy, up until 33 and a half when he goes to back to be God, you know, however that looks and works, he lives as a man and lives righteous. And because he lives righteous, he is the only one able to pay that price, and because of that, he can exchange it for us. It's what Christianity calls imputed righteousness. It means you don't deserve it, but he puts it on you. It means you actually aren't living completely righteous, but you now are righteous because of his righteousness. Because of his right standing with his father, he gave us right standing with his father. And so sometimes we look at righteousness as just simply, I got to act right, I got to be right, I got to do right. It's not simply that. But it also can't be separated from that. It can't be separated from the fact that God calls us to head back towards the image and design in which he created us. And so there's this place where Paul is writing and even Jesus is warning, saying, listen, even if you come to me and you receive salvation, but yet you go on living the way you've always lived, you may not enter the kingdom of heaven. Because God calls us to be transformed by him. And you know, I think a lot of it, it starts with the forgiveness. We understand his forgiveness over us. It starts with the being poor in spirit where we lean into him and we know we need him. But after that, he now says, listen, you've got to change. You've got to change. You know this thing that you keep doing, how you keep going up the hill and crashing into the curb? It's really dumb. You've got to stop. 
eventually you're not just hurting yourself too, right? I think one of the biggest lies about sin is it's usually just, oh, it's just going to hurt me. What's the big deal? No, it's not. Sin affects the world around us. Sin changes the world around us. In fact, I really believe that the brokenness that we experience in the world is all because of sin. The brokenness we even experience as humans is often not even just because of the sin of ourselves, but because of the sin of others. Anybody who's ever been abused in any way understands that. By no choice of your own, you've been affected and changed because of someone else's pain and hurt, and they put it on you. And so sin doesn't just affect just us. It affects the world around us. And when we think about advancing the kingdom of heaven, and when we think about advancing the kingdom of God or seeing the kingdom of God come on earth as it is in heaven, it's a place void of sin. It's a place where sin no longer resides. It's a place where sin no longer controls. It's a place where sin no longer has its authority over us. And we see all this, this kind of language in Romans. In fact, Paul says, you're no longer a slave to sin. You're no, now a slave to righteousness, to right living. And there's this place where we're called as Christians and as people who want to follow God, who want to see his kingdom advance, to look at our lives and even allow the Holy Spirit to say, hey, uh, this might not be your design. This might be sin. And it isn't a condemnation, right? It's love. It's the dad saying, don't keep running into the curb. Don't keep going at full speed. Wear a helmet. Because he loves us. Galatians 5.19. Paul writes it again, almost the exact same words to the Galatian church. He says this, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so I want to I say today, if you're experiencing a place where you can't seem to see the kingdom of God come true in your life or in the world around you, one place you should look is sin. And it's not always, it's not always blatant like that list. I mean, sometimes for me, honestly, I'm like, well, you know, where have you been, Jesus. Why haven't I felt you lately? Why has worship been so hard when I go to church? And I want to ask God, what's keeping me from connecting with you? And sometimes it's sin. It's not drunken and wild parties. Hasn't been for about 25 years. But it might be something else. It might be the outbursts of anger. It might be the jealousy or quarreling. I mean, another list, if you go to Ephesians, he says, 
disobeying your parents. In the same line that he talks about sexual immorality. You see, we always think that some things are worse than others. But in the eyes of God, anything that separates us from our design is not where he wants us to live. And so he calls us and he says, listen, I know maybe this has been the way that life has been for you, but listen, there's a better way. There's a better you. But yet somehow we get sucked into a life in a world where even sometimes we're convinced that this way of living, this sinful way of living is the only way there is. Now I love Jesus because we're going to jump down quickly to John 8. I'm going to come back to some scriptures, but John 8. Some of us know this story. It's the story of the woman caught in adultery. And we're going to start right in verse 1, John 8. It says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said, This woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his fingers. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right. But let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, They slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest. I love this. Because he'd probably been sinning the most. The longer we live, guess what? The more we've probably sinned. The oldest one realized, oh my gosh, my life hasn't been right. My life isn't perfect. I'm not qualified to throw that stone. So it says they slipped away one by one until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Now listen, if we stop there, we've missed part of the point. Jesus, I I love this, in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our life that isn't living in the image of God, that's living in sin, in the midst of just making bad choices over and over within all of us, every one of us has to claim that we've done this. In the midst of that, Jesus says, I love you, and I don't condemn you. But he ends by saying, go and sin no more. Because there's a place in our life where as a dad, as a parent, isn't it painful to watch your kids make the same mistakes over and over? So what kind of father in heaven, what kind of God would we be following if he was just like, I love you, but you can screw up your life, it's okay. I mean, really, what would that be like? 
And there's a truth to the fact that he loves you regardless of your actions, regardless of your choices, regardless of your decisions. And in fact, he won't love you anymore when you start doing right. You'll just make him probably a little happier. I, I really can't imagine in those small inkling that I understand as a father, when I see my kids doing something they're not supposed to do or or, or, or even, you know, I don't want to share too much stuff, honestly, but yeah, I'll share this. He's little. He won't watch this for a long time. It's, it's a real, it's personal. It, so we were at the playground, and Isaac had come home the last, this weekend. I'm going to cry over this. <laughs> crying, like bawling, crying, coming home from school, saying no one will play with me on the playground. And, you know, usually I'm like, well, why? <laughs> What'd you do? <laughs> he's in, he isn't always the easiest kid. And so I said, what's going on? And, and he's, I don't know. I'm not sure. Well, one of the things he said, and I'm not saying this is true, just being honest, I don't know. He said, I just don't think anybody likes playing with black kids, Dad. I was crushed. I was crushed. And then he says, I'm just not good enough. I was like, whoa, buddy. Whoa. That was sin. Because he didn't understand the design in which God's created him to be. He didn't understand the image that he actually bears. And so for him to even believe a lie that he's not good enough, that's sin. How many of you are doing that? You see, we think sin is just these external bad actions. It's not. Sometimes it's what we believe about ourselves. And so I look at my son and I'm like, why would you think this? Why would you feel this? And probably by no fault of his own, life has done things to him. The fact that he's adopted at all makes him think he's not good enough. But yet Jesus comes and says, listen, I don't want you to keep thinking that. I come as a dad, brokenhearted for my little son, and I say, please don't think that. Now, I, I, even as a dad, I realize I can't make him stop. I couldn't even make him stop riding the bike into the curb. How do I make him stop thinking a certain way? And I realize in moments like that afterwards, man, if I feel this way right now, how does God feel towards his 7 billion children who keep thinking the wrong way, living the wrong way, hurting each other, hurting themselves, and he's literally just pleading like, this isn't true. Stop that. You're not that person. You're not supposed to be like that. And he's pleading with humanity to live like how he's designed them to live. This is the picture of our Father in heaven, not someone up there with a, a big giant stick. Has anybody, has anybody ever seen that movie, Home? It's a cartoon. In the movie, there's the, I forget the, uh, the name of the creatures, but the one that leads them has the shusher stick. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, he basically carries a stick around. It's called the shusher. They're like, why? And he just hits them on the head. God's not carrying a shusher. I think we picture him like this, like, oh, you messed up, bang. It's more like you messed. Why did you do that again? 
Why are you saying that about yourself? Why are you, why are you causing this to do to your body? Why are you putting that drug in your system again? You're dying. Stop it, please. And yet somehow this thing, this, this sin, this stuff keeps us from entering what God has called us to be like, to act like, and to live in his kingdom. Go and sin no more. It's not some condemning thought. It's literally a plead. Please, please don't think like that anymore. Isaac, don't say that. Don't say that. That's how I feel. Imagine how God feels towards you. Sin often becomes the thing that keeps us from fully entering into God's kingdom. We must run from sin to experience all the kingdom has for us. You know, Jesus uses some pretty strong language in, in 1 Corinthians 6.18, just some scriptures down from what we first read. Paul says, run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. And, you know, he's talking specifically about sexual sin, but he's saying, run away from it. Do something drastic to get away. I love in Mark 9. We'll turn there real quick because I want to read this. Jesus' words are extremely direct. 9 verse 47, he says this. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. It's better to enter the kingdom of God with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. That's scary. But I love this because, listen, it's just hyperbolistic language. Don't go gouge your eye out. Okay? But he's saying do something drastic to change. Do whatever it takes to get away from this. This thing, it's trapping you. It's killing you. It's hurting you. Get away from it. And he's literally pleading. He's like, take extreme action in your life to get away from sin. Take extreme action to move towards the image God's called you to live like. I think often we just like, we go about life and maybe we have these sin patterns and we struggle with different things and we just think somehow God's going to just like snap his fingers and we're going to, you know, never have that, that desire again. I mean, I, I've heard a few stories of that, but most of the time, I've seen people finally get to a place of desperation. They're willing to do something drastic to change. But ultimately, sin usually isn't conquered by yourself. In fact, it never is. Because first, it's only conquered through the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus understood, even though we come to him and and we receive this gift of grace on the cross and we understand the price he paid and we get his imputed righteousness and now we're under this right standing with God. He understood, yeah, I'm going to accomplish that. In fact, it's done. It's there. It's gift. It's free. Just open it. It's like a one-time deal. Yes, great. I've received salvation. But what Jesus understood is after that comes the real race. Comes the actual struggle of change and transformation. And it's why Jesus says, now it's better for you that I go because I'm going to send an advocate, another one. His name is the Holy Spirit. 
Because he understood if we did not have the Holy Spirit within us, transformation into the image of God, impossible. Impossible. In fact, out of the reason I read out of Galatians 5 earlier is because really that whole chapter is teaching us about how important the Holy Spirit is. We go back to verse 16. He says, so this is chapter 5, verse 16. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. When the Holy Spirit actually comes in us, and we begin to allow him to guide us and to teach us and to transform us, then we have the ability to overcome these things that keep us trapped, that keep us slaves. It says the Holy Spirit comes to bring us that freedom. And, you know, as I listed that whole thing before and it, and it ended with, let me tell you again, as I have, I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. The next verse is better. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. But since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. We see that there's this exchange that's supposed to take place when we come to Jesus. We see this thing where we're supposed to realize, yes, thank you, Jesus, for this salvation, for this reconciliation and this right standing now with God, but I don't want to stop there. Because if you stop there, I will tell you, you'll be gravely disappointed in Christianity. If you just sit down after salvation, most people end up getting disillusioned thinking, where's all the rainbows and butterflies? Where's all the perfect stuff? Where's, where's this Jesus? Where's God? Where's this in the middle of this situation? Yet part of it is because you have to keep moving. And you have to keep saying, Jesus, transform me. Holy Spirit, work in me. God, take this sin from my life. Take this thing that's keeping me tracked from my life. And the more we move away from those things and the closer we get to the image that God has called us to live by, the more we're going to see the kingdom of heaven within us and around us. I love what Joel talked about today coming up, joy. I'll tell you what, you want to look different than the world? Have some joy. In the middle of the world right now, Someone with joy doesn't make sense. And I'm telling you, joy only comes when we escape the traps of sin, when we escape unforgiveness, when we lean into the Holy Spirit, when we lean into God, and we start to see him work within us, we start to see him work around us, and we start to see the kingdom, that it's actually real, it's really here on earth, and it's available to us. When we start to see that, then joy comes. And we aren't just focused on all the difficulties and the pain and the heartache. It's there. We're all dealing with it all the time. Hard news, painful things, painful situations. But when we've seen the kingdom of God begin to come true in our lives, when you see a painful situation, you actually begin to see it differently. You don't see it with a sense of hopelessness. You actually go, God can do something. Jesus can do something in this. 
Oh, this is an opportunity for a testimony. This is an opportunity for God to show his goodness. This is an opportunity for God's kingdom to really come. That's why we pray for healing. That's why we pray for people to be free from addiction. Because we believe that God can work these things in the midst of this world right here and right now that his kingdom can come on earth as it is in heaven. But some of the things we have to do is make sure we aren't leaving the obstacles in place for that to happen. We can't just leave these huge things in our life that seem impossible to get over. God wants to clear them today. And I really felt like as I was preparing this, I mean, it's not necessarily a fun message, right? Now, here's the thing. Sin, sin really can't be overcome by yourself. And it's not just meant to be overcome with the Holy Spirit. It's meant to be overcome in community, too. That doesn't mean you should go around and tell everybody your deepest, darkest sins. But you should have people in your life that you can come to, that you can confess to, and not, with, not for condemnation, not for, oh, I can't believe you did that. Those aren't the right people. Don't go tell them. But the person that says, you can get through this. I'll walk with you. The person that says, I was right there before. I know how to get out of that. Jesus brought me freedom. Jesus showed me a way out of that place. Those are the people we have to find. And when we walk alongside each other, when we say, listen, I, I'm not doing good. This thing is, is over my life. This thing keeps plaguing me. I keep having this unforgiveness. Go and tell someone, that. go and tell the right someone. Because when we do that, I really think it's the beginning of God being able to work a transformation. You know, sin's strongest place in your life is in the dark. Sin's strongest place in your life is believing the lie that you're worse than everybody else. You're not. We've all made horrible, horrible mistakes. None of us wants to put out there all the, the crap we've done. None of us wants to voice it. But I'll tell you right now, if you look around the room, all of us fit into this category of sins we read earlier. All of us, in some way. And so therefore, guess what? You're in good company. You know, there was this book years ago, just came to memory, it was called No Perfect People Allowed. And it was really about a pastor in Dallas but this was his mantra in church, no perfect people allowed. Because at the end of the day, none of us are perfect. And if we can come to church and come to Christ, bracing the fact that we're not, but knowing he can bring us freedom, well, then God can do something crazy incredible. And let me say this, too, for some of you. It's never too late to get over whatever that sin is. You might say, this has been... A part of my life for as long as I can remember, it's just never going to change. I've tried. Try again. Tell someone this time. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you this time. Oh, you don't understand, Greg. Alcoholism has been in my family since my great, great, great grandfather. I don't care. God's blessing can go to a thousand generations. 
Make a decision now that changes your kids, your kids, and your kids, and your kids' kids. I really believe that generationally, when we make decisions, the kingdom of God seems to somehow like leak down in our generations. I believe I'm the benefit of not just my parents, but my grandparents and their parents. You know, I found out years ago that my great-great-grandfather helped build the community church out in Louisville. And I just think about things like that, and I go, you know what? There's a heritage where my family made a decision they were going to serve God, and I get a benefit of that. Someone way back then made a decision that actually affects me in the good way. But the same can be true about sin. Someone way back then can make decisions and sin in their life, and it affects me now. I've had the same struggles in life because of those things. You can make a change now. The Holy Spirit can transform you right now. He can begin a new moment in your life. There can be a new slate today. And I think today what I wanted to just challenge us all is to, to realize don't let obstacles stay in front of you simply because they look too high. How many of us has, have seen videos of Marines training or SEALs training? You guys ever see these, these training videos? And one of the things is they always have a, a, a wall that's far too high for a person to get over. And it has to be done with a team effort. I think they do these in mud runs now and different, different challenges. And you see these guys that'll take sometimes two or three of them to stand on shoulders and then the first one can get over. And then he reaches back down and he pulls the next one up and then they hang another one down and they pull that one up. And then the last one, they're like hanging two people down the wall just to grab the last person. And then they get that whole team over the wall. Sometimes that's what sin is like. Help someone over the wall today. Don't try to climb it on your own. But don't let sin be an obstacle to the kingdom of heaven being real in your life, to the kingdom of God coming for real in your life. You know, I was thinking about the Our Father prayer this morning as we as we were just in worship, and I realized, oh, my message just kind of makes sense with this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. Poor in spirit. Relying on God. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Forgiveness and sin. Even in that prayer, Jesus is teaching us you want to get over the things that stop the kingdom in this world? Here's a few of them. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. There's obstacles that try to keep us from entering the kingdom of God. Don't be ashamed of them. Just ask Jesus to help you overcome them. Galatians 5.5. 5. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. God has promised righteousness over your life. It starts with the righteousness that he paid for on that cross. But I believe it's a working out of righteousness within us as well. That the closer we get to the image that he's created us to be like, the more sin seems like a distant memory. 
And the truth is, just like the oldest in that group around the women of adultery, and even just like, like Paul, you'll see Paul, he starts some of his first letters with, hi, I'm Paul, an apostle for Christ. One of his last letters, he says, I'm Paul, a chiefest of sinners. Because even the closer he got to God, he just kept realizing, wow, there's more stuff. Closer I get to Jesus, sometimes I go, man, I am still messed up. Fix me. Change me. But sometimes what happens is we just embrace where we are. And you can, you can even do that and still get to heaven. You can embrace the brokenness where you are and still have salvation, but yet Jesus is right there pleading with you, please, please don't believe that. And if we want to see the kingdom of heaven come in the north country, if we want to see the kingdom of heaven come in our families, if we want to see the kingdom of heaven come within our lives, we have to be Isaac in that moment and go, okay, Dad, I won't say that anymore. I'm not going to believe that anymore. I'm not going to stay there anymore. Why don't we stand this morning? Worship team can come up. Matthew 6, it says, Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and everything will be added unto you. Matthew 16, 18. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the powers of hell will not prevail. The powers of hell do not have to prevail in your life. This is where we've been speaking from this, this scripture really the whole time about the church and the kingdom. The gates of hell do not have to prevail within you. You don't have to embrace that obstacle that looks impossible to get over. You simply have to say, okay, Jesus, I want to try, and I need your help. So they're going to play this song I asked them to play. We've played it before. It's, it's called Build My Church, and I love it because really it talks about Jesus builds his church. He is the one that advances the kingdom. And listen, you want God to advance the kingdom in your life? He can do it. You just got to let him in a little bit more. Maybe you've been watching online today. Maybe you're in this room, and you're like, I don't even know if I've started this process. I don't even know if I'm a part of this family. I don't know if I've even received that gift of grace from the cross. You can do it in a moment. You can begin that transformation of looking away from the way the world has wanted you to look and start looking at the image that God's called you to be like. We call it salvation. We call it being born again. We call it getting saved. I love Paul writes it in Romans. He says, come back to God. That's what I want to say today. Come back to him. Because you were always designed to be with him. You were always meant to be a part of his family. And so I want to pray right now for anybody that's in that place. And then we're going to worship to this song. And as we worship to this song, those of you who are already Christ followers, already Christians, those of you who are joining, you know, walk, following Jesus, maybe in this moment, I want you to listen to this song and sing it, believing that the gates of hell will not prevail against you. That every sin, every obstacle, every difficulty can be overcome by him.
So Father, we just thank you for who you are this morning. We thank you for what you're doing. God, we thank you that you don't leave us the same, that, that you look at us, you love us where we're at, but you want us to change. You have better uses for us to become. To look more like the image of God that you've created us to look like. And so, Father, we just, we receive the reality that we still embrace sin in our lives at times. But God, we want to let go today, today together. We want to let go of sin that's kept us trapped, sin that's kept us unfree, sin that has kept us slaves. And Jesus, we want to, we want to run towards your freedom this morning. We want to see your kingdom advanced in our lives and your kingdom advanced in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing this song together.
your church, build your church, build it from the ground up. It's your church, build your church, build your church, build it from the ground up. Build your church, build your church, build your church, build it from the ground up. It's your church, build your church. Thank you that you are building your church. God, that you are working in us. God, we pray that as we leave today, Father, that God, you would use us as weapons. God, to stand against the enemy, Father God, to fight, Lord God, and to build your church, to expand your kingdom. God, we know that your kingdom is meant to be expanded. Father, so that this morning, God, we just say, use us. God, call out on us whatever you need to, Lord God. Mold us, shape us, Lord God, so we get mighty weapons and tools in your hands. God, we thank you that you're building your church. And we say, here we are, use us. And everybody said, amen. 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 Be blessed. Have an incredible day. Thank you for listening to NTC Messina's podcast. We hope you join us next week and have a blessed day.